Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. We live in a weary world. Even the time that we celebrate Christmas is a wearying time. It's a time of darkness, dullness, dampness, maybe even depression in your life. In fact, tomorrow, 2020, will be the day that we have the least amount of daylight. And that too gives to us some sunlight depreciation in our lives. But our world has been weary for a long, long time. In 1847, in France, the world was weary. There was social unrest. It was a time in which the workers of France were rebelling against the elite of France. And in fact, the next year the French Revolution would take place. An outworking of that unrest. In a little village outside Paris, the parish priest wanted something to encourage and refresh the people at Christmas time. So he contacted a poet in town. The poet's name was Placard Capu. And he asked him if he could pen a poem that would describe the wonder of Christmas. Pecu was more known for his wine tasting than his worship. But he took the assignment and the narrative goes that as he was riding in a carriage on his way to Paris... He read Luke's gospel because he he wanted to know the dynamic of Christmas. He penned a poem. And as he penned the poem, he decided that this poem should be set to music. And so he contacted a composer in Paris that was a friend of his and asked if he would set it to music so it could be celebrated It's the wonder of Christmas. Now, it's interesting that the composer that he contacted was Jewish, who did not celebrate the day nor the person of Christmas. But he consented and gave to us this wonderful anthem, O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. That particular Christmas in 1847 
was when this great anthem was introduced. But just a few years later, the church fathers discovered that the composer of the anthem was now a socialist. He had left the church, perhaps even become an agnostic. And the one who wrote the music was Jewish and had no dealings with the Christ child. And so the French Catholic Church deemed O Holy Night as unfit for church services because of its lack of musical taste and total absence of the spirit of religion. Fast forward 15 years. Let me take you to America. Abraham Lincoln is now the president. And a gentleman by the name of John Sullivan Dwight picked up this song. He was an abolitionist at heart and thought that the lyrics of this anthem promoted peace among men. He focused on the third stanza of this great hymn. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. The Christmas narrative brings a weary world into focus for us as we identify the wonder of God's work as he sent his son to Bethlehem. Now this morning I want to help you recognize the impact that that holy night had upon those who were involved in that holy night. And I want you to try to put yourself in their places and ask yourself how how you would respond if you were participating for the first time in the wonder of God's. We're going to begin our reading of the narrative in verse 7, where the scripture simply says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now stop right there, will you please? Gave birth to her firstborn son. Now you and I read that, and it's something that we knew would happen. That was God's work, right? God had sent the Holy Spirit upon Mary, and even as a virgin, she was going to bring forth her firstborn son. And you and I may read that text and think it's almost like a birth notice in the newspaper. Although it was incredible, although it was miraculous, 
It was simply a statement of fact. And it was. But I want you to understand that in Mary's life and Joseph's life, a son has been born to them. What a wonder. Those of you who have children, do you remember when your firstborn was born? I remember September 22nd, 1977. Our firstborn was born. And I left the hospital and, and Connie was, was, was there. And I came home and went downstairs where our, our little puppy was. Actually, he wasn't our puppy. He belonged to our newborn baby. Because we had people in our youth group who went to a flea market and purchased a puppy. Now, can you think of a better place to purchase a puppy than at a flea market? They paid 25 cents for this puppy. We named him Two Bits. And I, I, I sat on the basement stairs, and I thought about all that had just happened within the last 12 hours, and Two Bits came up to me, and I just cried. I, I was so excited. The fact that God had given us a child. And I want you to get excited that God had given Joseph and Mary a child. Now there's another dynamic that goes into this. In that day, there was a lot of barrenness. And many women were unable to have children. I remind you of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren. I remind you of Jacob and, and Leah and Rahab. And, and Rahab was, was barren. I remind you of Hannah. Who went to the temple to, to pray for a, a son. And she was barren. And that was not unusual. In fact, during that time, it was not unusual for women to, to give their servant girls to their husbands to procreate and, and have children because they were, they were barren. Samson's mother was barren. Statistics tell us that if a woman who was in her childbearing years, lived to be 40. She would have to have six children in order for two to survive. That was the infant mortality rate. And so do not overlook this wonderful truth. Mary gave birth to a son. And I also want you to know that Mary gave birth to a son whose name would be called Jesus. May I remind you of the narrative? God told Mary about the impact of that child. He would be great. He would be the son of the Most High. He would sit on the throne of his father David. He would reign over Judah, and of his kingdom there would be no end. That was the impact, but Mary didn't get the name. The name was given to Joseph. And we can read that back in Matthew's gospel in a dream. The angel said, 
Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you will call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. I remind you that when Zechariah received word that his wife, Elizabeth, who was barren, would have a child. He became mute, and when the child was born, they asked Zechariah, what do we name the child? And Zechariah wrote down, John. And that surprised everybody because nobody in the family was named John. Why would you call him John? Because that was the name that Zechariah was told to give to the child. So as we think about the, the simple truth, a son is born, don't miss the impact. The impact to, to Joseph and Mary, the impact to that culture, the impact as Joseph named him Jesus. And God planned it all and fit it all together. And it's all part of the wonderful Christmas text where God sent his son. We move very quickly to, to verse 8. And verse 8 simply tells us that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds were doing what shepherds do. Very simple. They were watching their flock. They were out there minding their own business, staying out of everybody's way. Uh, by the way, there weren't too many people that associated with shepherds. They smelled. The aroma that came from a flock of sheep was sometimes overwhelming. We have a grandson, and we have taken him out to carry dairy on a couple of occasions. And he walks around like this. Well, that was the shepherds. And the text simply says that they were doing what shepherds do. Nothing unusual. Not, nothing beyond what was taking place. They were doing what shepherds do. Now, I think it's important for us to understand the position of shepherds. They weren't in the center of society. <laughs> in fact, if they were to try to go to the temple and worship, they weren't admitted because they were unclean. Now, tradition tells us that these shepherds may well have been temple shepherds. I like to think about that. Because as temple shepherds, they would have been watching the flock that would be offered as sacrifices in the temple. And when you identify those sacrifices, you can identify the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. I like that, don't you? But shepherds were just doing what shepherds do. And the practice of shepherds was to be faithful Watch the flock, protect the flock, make sure that the flock was well taken care of because that's what shepherds do. 
I think it's interesting that as God, as we will see in just a moment, reveals the Christmas message to the shepherds, he's revealing it to ordinary people that are just doing what they do. His work of grace to those shepherds ought to affect our lives as we recognize God's work of grace in our lives. You remember the first time that you came in contact with the Lamb of God? You were just doing what you do. Maybe it was a church service. Maybe it was visiting with a neighbor. Maybe it was reading a book. I don't know what it was, but you were just doing what you were doing. And yet God reached down into your life to show you his, his grace. The shepherds were abiding. And at that point, the silence was broken. The text tells us, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were afraid. Can you imagine? Mind in your own business. Doing what you do. And God interrupts your life. It makes a difference, doesn't it? When the glory of God shines in your life, it gets your attention. When you recognize that God now has a message to give you, you listen. I'm so thankful that Haley listened. And God got her attention. I don't know how all that took place. But the impact of putting boxes together and, and sharing with, with those who had need. God got your attention. God got my attention because I had a need. And all of a sudden, there's angels talking. I want you to know that angels had not talked for over 400 years. God had been silent for 400 years. We read it here in the third gospel of the New Testament. And we read it just kind of like it's a commentary, like it's an everyday, ordinary kind of thing. But the people had not heard from God for 400 years. Now, an angel had spoken to Zechariah. An angel had talked to Mary. Joseph got information from an angel. But as far as the people were concerned, God had been silent. Nothing. Not a zip. Oh, God has a message for mankind. And listen to the message. It begins, fear not. God's message is not a message that should disturb us to the point of inaction. Because God's message is a message of love. A message of caring and sharing. 
a demonstration of how he wants to be involved in our lives. And the message the angel gave to the shepherds who were afraid. And let me tell you something. When you come in contact with the holy God, it'll mess you up. Just think back about Moses and the burning bush. And the first words that were spoken publicly in 400 years were fear not. Isn't that great? Those are words that had been spoken to Zechariah when he was ministering in the temple. Those were words that had been spoken to, to Mary as she was told that she was going to have a son. Mary, fear not. Those were words that were spoken to Joseph in wondering how to respond to Mary. They were words which would be spoken as they went to the cemetery on that first resurrection moment looking for the one they loved. And the angel said, fear not. And they were words that were spoken to John the Revelator when he came in contact with the one who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And John fell as a dead man, and he was told, fear not. When God invades your life to give you a message God's got it. Don't fear it. Know that God has it all planned out and that he is putting all the pieces together and that he is going to use you to impact his world. I love the greeting that Jewish people have. Maybe it's a greeting we should have. Shalom. Greeting of peace. And that is more than a greeting of simply absence of conflict. The word shalom has the idea of character more than circumstances. It means well-being, prosperity, security, soundness, completeness. And in this day, taxes were high, unemployment was high, morals were slipping lower, military state was in control, Roman law, Greek philosophy, even Jewish religion couldn't meet the, the needs of men's hearts. But fear not. God's got a message that can meet the needs of our hearts. And what was the message? I bring you good tidings. Good tidings. The word in the Greek is evangelio. It's the word from which we get our word gospel. The angel said, I bring you the gospel. You know, there's nothing better than the gospel. There's nothing that, that will positively impact our lives greater than the gospel. And it's the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures that gives us hope and causes us not to fear. That's the Christmas narrative. That's the wonder of Christmas. Tidings of great joy 
and don't miss it, which shall be to all people. This wasn't just a message for the shepherds. In our day, it's not just a message for Baptists. It's not just a message for evangelicals, for fundamentalists. It's not even just a message for Republicans. It's a message for all people. And aren't you thankful that Christ died for the sins of all people? Because that includes me and that includes you. And after 400 years, the message that God gave was peace, fear not, because the gospel will impact your life. And it's the gospel that's good for all people for all times, throughout all centuries. And it's the message you and I need to hear. God broke the silence of 400 years with a message of hope and a message of help for all of us. And in this message of hope and help, a Savior is identified. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now I remind you that specifically this message was given to the shepherds. And had the message stopped with fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The shepherds may well have scratched their head and say, okay, now what? But the angels go on to tell them, now what? For unto you is born in the city. Let me tell you where you're going to find this child, this Savior. He's going to be in the city of David. He's going to be in Bethlehem. And there you can discover hope and help. And not only will you find him in Bethlehem, you'll know who he is because he is the Savior. And that Savior is not just another individual. Not just another baby, as wonderful as that is, that Savior is Christ the Lord. Christos Kyrios. Think about that. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, Christ the Lord. Philippians chapter 2. Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Christ the Lord. And being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient. 
Christ the Lord, even to death, death on the cross. But God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, Christ the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, amen. Get excited about that. The Savior has been identified. The one who would save his people from the sins has been shown. And it's Christ the Lord. Now, how are you going to know it when you see him? The angel said, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. I don't know how many babies were born in Bethlehem at that time. But I do know this. The angels identified Christ the Lord as one who would be wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. It's interesting to note the reaction of the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angels went away, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. Now, I wonder what that conversation was like. I mean, they'd just seen angels. They'd just heard angels. They'd just been given a, a message that they'd never heard before. And they, they said to each other, hey, Joe, what do you think we ought to do? I don't know, Ben. What do you think we ought to do? Well, let's just see if we can wait here and maybe the angels will come back. I mean, after all, you don't want to miss angels, right? But they didn't. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. Now, we don't know how far they were from Bethlehem. The text simply says that these shepherds were in the same region. I wonder if it was like Calhoun County. That's a pretty big region, right? And they may have had to go a ways. We don't know. But I think it's interesting that verse 16 says that they went with haste. They said, let's go. Let's see. And let's go quickly. This was the first Christmas rush. This was the first Black Friday sales day. We got to find this out. We just heard the ad. And we got to go see if it's real. And they went with haste. And what did the angels say? You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And what did they find? They found Joseph. They found Mary. And they found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in. When God tells you something, God tells you the truth. Amen? Amen? And they were able to identify this child. And recognize that this was the one who the angels were speaking about. 
And so the shepherds go and discover the wonder of Christmas. Now that could be the end of it. We could stop there. I mean, we wake up Christmas morning and maybe you unwrap gifts on Christmas Eve or maybe you unwrap them Christmas morning. I don't know, but you, you know, that, that's nice, that's fun. Okay. What's next? When do we eat? Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen it was told to them. They not only went, they got so excited that they told other people about it. Whoa! This is unusual. This is great. This is the gospel. I'm afraid in the 21st century of the United States of America, we don't get so excited anymore. Christmas comes, Christmas goes. We hear the carols, we read the narrative, we go to church. We have special services. But do we get excited enough to tell the people we come in contact with that there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord? My wife does a Christmas letter every year. And every year, without fail, she begins it with a paragraph that identifies a scriptural truth. And every year without fail, she says to me, Tom, am I too preachy? No. She's just sharing with the people that we send that letter to. The reason for the season. And it's not carols. And it's not presents. And it's not family gatherings. And we may not have that this year. And it's not cookies. The reason for the season is Christ the Lord. And that ought to excite you. I think it interesting that shepherds were permitted to share the message. (laughs) It wasn't the elite. It wasn't those who were prominent in culture. It was just the shepherds. And God used these humble shepherds to be the first human witnesses that the prophecy had been fulfilled and the Messiah had come. You may sit there and say, I'm nobody special. Neither were the shepherds. You may be thinking, I don't have any gifts. Neither did the shepherds. You may wonder, will anybody receive my message? People stayed away from shepherds. And they shared the message 
made known the saying, glorifying God. You see, it's not about what we think or what we feel or what we even consider. It's about glorifying God. That the Savior has come. He's Christ the Lord. And that makes all the difference in the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Hope, help for our weary, weary lives. The narrative gives us the reaction of those who were involved in that Christmas. The reaction of the angels was fear not, because the gospel is good news. The reaction of the shepherds was, let's go. Let's share what God has made known to us, because that brings glory to him. And the reaction of Mary is listed in verse 19. Mary treasured these things in her heart. The question is, how do you and I respond to the wonder of the Christmas message? Did you know 
Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect wonder what Mary knew, but the reality is, we know. We've read the text. We've been exposed to the truth, and God has identified in our lives the wonder and worship of Christmas. And are we going to just ponder it? Or are we going to share the things that we've seen, the things that we've heard, the things that have been made known unto us? That's the Christmas question.